I appreciate all the pictures that were taken of our New Orleans trip. But I wanted to know what's so funny about an old man taking a nap in the afternoon. I thought all of us old men took a nap in the afternoon. Don't, don't we, Jack? <laughs> oh, well, I, I'm not too mad about that. I take a good nap every afternoon. Try to. If you have your Bibles today, would you turn with me to John chapter 14 and verses 1 through uh, 14. And when you found your place in sacred scripture, would you please stand in honor of reading of God's word? And I believe we have the NIV version on the screen, so uh, we'll read that one. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said unto him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would have known my Father as well. From now on, you will, do, will know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for so long, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you know that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. May the Lord add his wretched blessings to the reading of his word and you may be seated. It was 61 years ago on September the 10th, 1956, 
that I enrolled in Howard College as a ministerial student. On the first day, I noticed a list on the bulletin board for preachers who wanted to go out and speak on H-Day. One of my friends encouraged me to sign up. So I did. I had been in the ministry less than 30 days. In my mind, I said, hey, I'm a freshman. Nobody knows me, and there's not a chance in a million that I'm going to be on that list. Well, on September the 18th, I happened to walk by that bulletin board, and I noticed, guess whose name was on that list? I was scheduled to preach at Riderwood Baptist Church in Choctaw County near Butler, Alabama. I had never been further south than Tuscaloosa. Where in the world is Choctaw County? Where in the world is Butler, Alabama? And where in the world is Riderwood Baptist Church? I had no idea. And beside that, I did not have a sermon I had never preached. I had surrendered to preach on the 20th day of August 1956, enrolled in Howard College. You talk about panic. I was stressed out. Needless to say, I started looking for a sermon. Now, in my Bible reading, my eyes fell on John 14, 1 through 6. And he was talking about Jesus, talking about going to heaven. And I thought, you know, that's a pretty good place to start right there, talking about Jesus. If you're going to be a, a preacher of the word, you need to talk about Jesus. So I figured, well, I'll start right there. And so I started putting some thoughts together and Got on that bus on Sunday morning, drove to Choctaw County, Butler, Alabama. Was picked up by a young pastor who asked me a question. How long have you been in the ministry? I said, about a month. <laughs> I'm sure he was excited about that. He probably thought, oh Lord, what have they sent me? Well, I got to the church. When it came time for my, preach, my time to preach, I got up and I preached. I don't know what I said. Don't ask me because I don't remember. Whatever I said was about Jesus and going to heaven. And God added two precious souls to that congregation that day. And I thought, well, that's pretty good. At least the Lord used what was said either in the song service or in the announcement time to convince somebody to come to know Christ. And I started on my journey. I've probably used this scripture passage many times in my preaching of 61 years. Somehow the sermons never come out the same. I don't know why. But there's always something different about them. In fact, I see something new in the passage almost every time I read it. 
I can imagine those disciples being with Jesus three years and uh, experiencing the, the crowds that used to throng him everywhere he went. The long-expected Messiah was finally here. Nothing could be more valuable than that. Nothing could be more important than that. Suddenly Jesus said, I'm going away. I'm going to die. One of the twelve is going to betray me. Peter's going to deny me three times. All the disciples would be persecuted. The disciples were completely bewildered and devastated. To comfort them, Jesus spoke these words in John chapter 14. It was really an answer to uh, chapter 13 and verse 36. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither thou goest? Jesus answered him, whither I go, thou cannot follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I would lay down my life for you. Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to lay down your life for me. Then he said to his disciples, don't be afraid, for I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Now, everybody wants to go to heaven. In fact, not long ago, they made a survey and they asked people, uh, are you going to heaven? 68% of those that responded said, yes. When I die, I am going to heaven. And a strange thing about it, only 3% said they were going to hell. Now, there's only two ways to go. But only 3% said they were going to hell, 68% they were going to heaven. Most are interested in knowing what happens to us when we die. But in this pluralistic culture, it's stylish for us to believe that one way is as good as another way to get to heaven. Now, there's some weird theology out here. I wish I had time to go through all of the weird theologies, but we would be weird here till about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But for instance, let me give you a for instance. In Islam, they believe that there are seven doors to heaven. Prayer, jihad or holy war, charity, fasting, annual pilgrimages, controlling your anger and forgiveness, faithfulness, and your zeal in remembering Allah. Now, you can shortcut that by giving your life as a martyr, killing the enemy. To, the, to me, that doesn't sound quite right. In Buddhism, there are 33 heavens and 33 hells. All of those are attained by wealth and works. In Scientology, the soul life is reincarnated over and over again from one life to the other life for a billion years. 
In fact, when you die, you just wait around to pop up in a new life. Scientology. We've probably got some people that in this congregation today that think Scientology is just another religion. In Judaism, there is no concept of the afterlife. The greatest emphasis is placed upon the life that's being lived right now, but there is one little outside caveat. When the Messiah comes, there will be a resurrection of those who have done good in their life. There's some weird theologies out there. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I'm kind of a person that if I'm going on a trip, I like to talk to somebody who's been there. And I'd like to ask questions. Now, none of these turkeys have been there. Only Jesus has been there. And I'd like to talk to somebody who's been there and got back. And who's going again. Looking forward to going again. And so Jesus is the only one that we can trust to tell us about the afterlife. Now, I don't know a whole lot about heaven, except what the Bible says. I've never been there. I'm going there one day. I believe with all my heart because I committed my life to Jesus many years ago. And he promised me a place in heaven. Now, there's some things I do know because I believe Jesus. First of all, Jesus prepares a place for us. It's not a figment of your imagination. It's not floating around on a cloud. It's not a state of mind. But Jesus said it is a place. Now, I don't know where that place is. But I know it will be with Christ, wherever He is. I know it's a prepared place. For He said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. It's a prepared place. Now, you say, well, now, Brother Paul, wait a minute. If Jesus is the only way to the Father, what happened to Abraham? What happened to the prophets of old? Think with me just a moment. The Bible says that Abraham, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, Abraham was looking for a city that was not made by hands. Was he looking for a Jerusalem? Was he looking for a city that was built? No, he was looking for a city not made with hands. He was looking for the promise of God of a heavenly city. First uh, Peter says that uh, God, he believed, Abraham believed God and God counted it for righteousness, for a right relationship. That word righteousness doesn't necessarily mean goody-goody two-shoes. But it's a right relationship with God. 
So Jesus is correct when he says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. He's going away to prepare a place for those who are faithful to God, those who are faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, a prepared place. It is reserved for those who, who embrace the Lord Jesus as personal Savior. In fact, God sent Christ here on, on earth to seek and save those that were lost, to give them a hope, a eternity in the presence of, of God the Father. Now, I know sometimes we talk about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and we're guilty of worshiping three gods. Several years ago, I was in a restaurant. One of my Jewish friends came in and sat down with me and said, can I eat with you today? And I said, of course. And so he ordered the ham and raisin sauce. I said, Morel, I thought you were Jewish. Oh, I am. I said, but you ordered ham and raisin sauce. He said, oh, well, that's the roast beef. You know, we can rationalize anything. He said, but in, in, the, in the process of this, he said, uh, let me ask him some questions. He said, y'all do worship three gods, don't you? I said, oh, no. We worship one God because we don't understand the Trinity. Many years ago when I was pastor of a church in Florida, I had a guy came to the house at 7 o'clock. He said, I need to talk to you. I said, fine, come on in. He said, uh, can you explain the Trinity? I thought he was going to gripe about something going on in the church. I didn't know he was going to ask me one of those theological questions that I couldn't answer. And so I tried to explain to him the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he began to ask, well, how can, how can Jesus pray to God the Father if they're, not, if they're the same person? And so at 12.30 in the morning, I looked at Howard and I said, Howard, I can't help you. And out of that conversation, I began to think about the Trinity. Let me tell you how I arrived at it. You look at a triangle. It has three points. The triangle is God. God expresses himself in three different ways, as Father, as Son, and as the Holy Spirit. But none of those are separate individuals. And I had said to Howard that night, are you a man? And he said, yes, I am. And I said, are you married? He said, yes, I am. I said, are you a father? He said, yes, I do. I have sons. I said, how many folks are you? One. You see, God expressed himself in three different avenues, as creator, as father, as son, and as Holy Spirit. So, it's a prepared place. It's a prepared for those that love the Lord. It is the path to the Father. 
Thomas was confused, and it seems like it's the same confusion of our day. And down through the centuries, Thomas has been criticized and appreciated. He has been accused of a lack of faith and appreciated because we easily identify with him. Most people believe there are many ways to heaven. And Jesus answered Thomas with an incredible statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So there's only one way. He is the path. The word there for way is hodas, which means a path, a narrow path. He's the only way. There, there's no way to come to the Father except through Jesus. This answer is, was not popular in that day, and it's not popular today. Because when Jesus was born, the Caesars were gods. There was Roman goddesses and Greek goddesses and Roman gods and Greek gods all over the place, and they were worshipped. Modern philosophy says there are no absolutes. Truth is in the eye of the beholder. And Christians are often criticized for claiming that Jesus is the only way to the Father. I don't know about you. If this is true, we ought to proclaim that from the top of our lungs to the top of the house with boldness wherever we are whether we're here uh, in Pelham, Alabama, or whether we're in the Father's country of the world, we ought to proclaim that Jesus is the only way. Jesus said, to know me is to know the Father. These words were ringing in the ears of John when he wrote his first epistle. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 23, it says, No one who denies the Son can have the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. No one who denies the Son can have the Father. And he who confesses the Son has the Father as well. So Jesus says, To know me is to know the Father. So first of all, he prepares a place. Secondly, he's the path to the Father. And then again in verses uh, 8 through 12, he says, he is the picture of the Father. Philip says, show us the Father. Show us the Father. He must have been disappointed in Philip's question. But he didn't get frustrated about it. The disciples had been with Jesus for three years and did not know who he was. In fact, if you look at the story of Christ, they were still arguing about who was going to sit on the right hand and the left hand of Jesus when he came into his kingdom. They were still thinking in physical terms that he was going to establish a physical kingdom and one of them was going to sit on the right and one on sit on the left. They still didn't understand who he was after three years. So no wonder they were still confused in John 14. Now, before we criticize Philip, we need to look at our own lives. Most believers do not know the Father and the Son and the Spirit as the triune Godhead. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
No man has seen God. Only the begotten Son has revealed Him in John 1.18. So, we are, we see Jesus when we see the Father. And we see the Father when we see Jesus. Now, I know this is hard to explain. But we have to understand that uh, you can see God in the spirit without seeing him in the physical. We're always thinking in the physical realm. But we have to see God in our spiritual realm. Fanny Crosby, who was a blind songwriter, who wrote over 8,000 psalms, hymns. She wrote a song in answer to a question. A pastor said to her one time, Miss Fanny, isn't it a shame that you don't have your sight? Somebody who has such talents and insights, has such deep spiritual insight, isn't it a shame you don't have your sight? And she said, if I had only one wish, that I could be born blind. So the first face that I will ever see will be the face of my Savior. Listen to this insight. When my life's work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side, and his smile will be the first to welcome me. Oh, the soul-thrilling rapture when I view his blessed face and the luster of his kindly beaming eye. Oh, my full heart will praise him for his mercy, love, and grace that prepared for me a mansion in the sky. Oh, the dear ones in glory, how they beckon me to come and our parting at the river I recall to the sweet vales of Eden. They will sing my welcome, but I long to meet my Savior first of all. Through the gates of that city in a robe of spotless white, I will, he will lead me where no tears will ever fall. In that glad song of the ages, I shall mingle with delight, but I long to see my Savior first of all. I shall know him. I shall know him. And redeemed by his side, I shall stand. I shall know him. Yes, I shall know him by the print of the nails in his hands. Written by a blind songwriter who saw Jesus in a different way. God the Father works out through the, His Son, the Lord Jesus. There was such an intimate relationship with the Father and the Son that when you speak of one, you speak of the other. When Jesus worked, it was the Father who was working in Him, He says. Look at the works that Jesus did. The Apostle John writes about him changing water into wine in chapter 2. 
He talks about his healings in chapter four, five, and nine, and the feeding of 5,000, and the walking on the water in chapter six, and the raising of Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11. But Jesus said he was not the one doing the work, it was the Father. The miracles that God performed through Jesus was proof of that union. He pictures the Father. When you look at Jesus, you see the Father. And Jesus said, if you don't see the Father, then you don't know me. And then in chapter, in chapter 14, verse 13 and 14, there is a wonderful promise that we need to understand. It says, if you ask anything in my name, Believing, I will do it. Now that sounds like a great promise. Whatever you want, Jesus will give it to you, right? Well, we need to look at that close. Because I have heard people say that. You know, I, I'm a Christian, so I just ask for God for what I want, and he gives it to me. Well, you know, I, I'm a Christian too, and I've asked God for a lot of things I don't need, and He don't give them to me. God does answer prayer. When, what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? Because Jesus ascended to the Father as our advocate, we can be assured that our prayers will be heard. But asking in Jesus' name, there are some conditions attached to this promise. Prayer must be in accordance to what Jesus would ask for if he were praying that prayer. It's not a blank check. Our prayers must glorify the Father and the Son. Our prayers must be consistent with the will of God for our lives. As John, 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says. So just praying for something in the name of Jesus doesn't mean we automatically get it. The promises need to be, the prayer needs to be according to the promises. It needs to be according to the criteria. We must meet the conditions of prayer, and when we do, God promises to answer our prayer. His answer will always be in accordance with His divine will and purpose for our life and our life situation. And when we ask anything in his name, believing, he will do it. How's your prayer life? Are we like some people, we only pray in a case of emergency? Heard about the little boy sitting on a tin roof, and all of a sudden his feet kind of slipped, and he went down the tin roof, and he, was, he cried out, Lord, help me! And about that time, a nail caught him in the city of the britches. He said, never mind, Lord, the nail's got me now. You see, our prayers are kind of like that. What are you praying for? Are you willing to meet the conditions of prayer to pray in the Spirit of Christ, to pray according to His will and purpose for your life? Is that what you're praying for? Who are you praying for? Is this prayer that you're uttering, would it be prayed if Jesus were standing by your side? 
If so, He promises to hear and to answer. He will always hear the prayer of repentance and supplication from His children. I don't know a lot about heaven. I'm planning to go there one day and it won't be long. You see, old men take naps. And old men get ready for heaven. But dear friend, young men better get ready for heaven too. Because we never know. This may be your last day on earth as well it is my last day on earth. And if we're not prepared for that prepared place, we ain't going. A lot of people think they're going to heaven who's not going. Because they're not prepared to meet Jesus. Jesus said He was the only way, He was the only truth, and He was the only life. My encouragement for us today, all of us, is to realize that Christ Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, to assemble His church that He's going to take home to be with Him forever. And if we're, if we're not part of that church family, those disciples that He's gathering together, every single day He's gathering disciples. From all over the world, He's gathering disciples. And if we're not ready to meet Him, we're not going. My encouragement to all of us is to be ready. Because this could be our last day. Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place. He is the path to the Father. And He pictures or mirrors the Father. If we want to see the Father, look at Him. And then He promises that He will answer our prayers as we pray according to His will and purpose. How's your prayer life today? What are you praying for? Who are you praying for? We need to have answers to those questions. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for the opportunity just to say a word about you. Just to lift up Christ Jesus, our Lord. Just to talk about that prepared place that you're getting ready for all of those that love you. Father, I do pray that there's one here in this assembly today that does not know you has never opened their heart and let Jesus become the Lord of their life, become the one that calls the shots, gives direction, that this might be the day of salvation, that this might be the day when they say, Lord, I know I can't make it by myself. I know I'm not going to get to heaven without you. and You're the way, and I, I trust you as my Lord and my Savior and my Master. Then, Father, there should be someone here today that needs to find a place to express their ministry. They already say, but they have not found that place to express their ministry. Every single saved person on the face of the earth has a ministry. Lord, if we're not using our ministry, we're being disobedient. Father, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of those that are disobedient, that they might find that place where they can express their ministry, their love for you. And they can point men, women, boys, and girls to the saving knowledge of Christ our Lord. And I pray, dear Father, if there are those that in, in that category today, 
that you might help them to find their ministry. Then there are those who have been attending for a long time, but yet they're still on the fence. I pray, Father, that you would speak to the hearts of those that need to make commitments today. Lord, that this might be the day of salvation for some, that this might be the day of, of commitment for others as they follow the Lord and be obedient to Him. Use this time, this invitation, to bring glory to your name. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.